This is The Prevention Podcast with former intelligence officer and author Dan Verdon. Sponsored by LiveSafe, the leading risk intelligence communications platform that surfaces early warning insights and prevents serious safety and security incidents to mitigate operational risks, reduce financial losses, and make places safer for people to work, learn, and live. Those risks are still very much there. And even though we're not at the end of the year yet, that early data shows us that the numbers of mass attacks are, are still occurring at the same frequency if not increasing because of the COVID situations. How do we prevent and prepare to the best of our ability within our own unique environment? And of course, the caveat that we've been talking about here for a few moments now is where does the increased stress and and dynamic of the COVID pandemic fit in all this? The U.S. Secret Service this month released its latest report on mass attacks in public spaces. The annual report on targeted violence examines 34 attacks in which three or more people were injured or killed throughout 2019. And surprise, surprise, despite lockdowns, quarantines, social distancing, and limits on gatherings, people are still being killed or wounded in large numbers at places of work, schools, houses of worship, and other open public spaces. Joining me to discuss the findings of the report is Michael D'Angelo, a board-certified consultant and president of Secure Direction Consulting, LLC. Michael, welcome back to the Prevention Podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here again. So earlier this month, the U.S. Secret Service released its annual report on mass attacks in public spaces. The report, as I mentioned in the intro, analyzed 34 mass attacks that took place in the U.S. last year, and they involved firearms and uh, a host of different weapons. Unfortunately, we see the same risk factors and concerning behaviors year after year. We're talking about mental health issues, domestic violence, and drug use, and of course, two-thirds of those who committed the attacks exhibited behaviors that were observed by others and that concerned others. It's troubling that we continue to see a lack of intervention and reporting of these concerning behaviors. But this year, we're dealing with a completely different environment with a level of stress and uncertainty we haven't seen in decades. So I guess where I want to start is what should risk managers and security professionals be thinking about as we slowly but surely return to schools and to workplaces? Yeah, it's it's absolutely a challenge right now. You know, when we when we look at the precursors of these mass attacks, and we we teach so often on the workplace violence side of things to to look for the signs, look for the red flags that someone's escalating, you know, towards this potential type of behavior. And and right now, with the the stressors that the COVID pandemic has put on organizations, those red flags are just popping up all over the place. I mean, you're 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 seeing short-term stressors from people that would normally be classified as the stable, solid employee because they're reacting to, you know, the everyday things that this pandemic is, is causing for all of us. They're, they're dealing with children that are in school. They're, they're dealing with loss of jobs in certain cases and obviously healthcare concerns for anybody in the family that may be susceptible to the virus. So you, you just, all the red flags that we normally teach people to look for that, that we consider sort of the precursors to these type of mass attacks, we're, we're just, we're seeing them all over the place. But we're also seeing the, the attention and concern coming from industries that we're not usually 
familiar with or associating with the mass attack. I mean, unfortunately, we've become used to hearing about them in schools, government venues, houses of worship, things of that nature. But now we're seeing all sorts of industry and businesses that are that are exhibiting the concern. And and you know, Dan, it's interesting to look at when you when you read the Secret Service's report. It, it's I don't want to say it's a carbon copy, but the trends, the, the, the things we look for, they haven't really changed. Um, and, and I think it's important to keep pointing out that, sure, it's alarming when you hear about mass attack happening in schools and universities, and, and you want to throw more attention towards those things. But it's important to recall that these are still very low probability events albeit very high criticality when they do take place. So you, you certainly don't want to ignore them and you want to put the resources toward them. But, but we've got to remember that something escalating to the level of the mass attack and the active shooter incident is still very rare for most industries. But those lower level incidents of workplace violence that may not reach that high on the spectrum of, a, of an active shooter, those are the things we need to keep looking for. And, and again, like I said at the opening here, those are the things that we're starting to see the red flags for in, in, in the employee and the organization that we don't normally expect to see the behaviors from. Now, if you look at the data from the Gun Violence Archive, we've had 377 mass shootings in 2020 so far. That puts us on track to meet or exceed the 417 mass shootings recorded last year. But thanks to COVID-19, it seems like our attention has been diverted from this very important issue. How do security professionals communicate to their decision makers that this issue has not disappeared and that their schools and their businesses still need to prepare and to take steps to lessen this risk? Absolutely. And and those risks are still very much there. And, and even though we're not at the end of the year yet, that early data shows us that the numbers of mass attacks are, are still occurring at the same frequency, if not increasing because of the COVID situation. So I think it's important to, to let stakeholders know that you, you have to dedicate the same resources you were before, if not more so now, because we have to look at this, this new angle that may be factoring into these type of attacks. And, and you know, the Secret Service mentions in their report that the, the multidisciplinary teams in law enforcement, mental health, uh, workplace risk managers, faith-based leaders, school personnel, those multidisciplinary teams are still key to, to spreading that knowledge across the organization and, and making the awareness that we're, we're still on track. The same level of violence is there, but if anything, we now have a brand new factor that has never worked its way into this dynamic before that we, we need to be very cognizant of. So a few days after they released their report, the Secret Service held a virtual symposium to discuss the findings. And in a very interesting part of the presentation, the chief of police in Dayton, Ohio, suggested the importance of moving beyond motivation in terms of analyzing these mass attacks. His point was basically that the search for a motive tends to suck all the oxygen out of our public discourse around these events, rather than refocusing our attention on getting people and organizations the tools they need to make timely reports of concerning behaviors so we can prevent these attacks in the first place. I would think that now is the time for schools and businesses to start looking for ways to make it easier for people to communicate their concerns and their observations. 
I mean, the answer is clearly not more surveillance cameras. So, Michael, where am I going wrong here? And I think the chief's on the right track, and it's just focusing on what can we do that leans more towards the prevention and mitigation side as opposed to the response and reviewing the after actions. And that's where this talk about how much we're weighing into what the motives were, what what led the person to the event. We need we need to keep the focus on what can you do to prepare the organization for the worst case scenario. What do you have in place? And it, it may not mean that you need to add another thousand CCTV cameras, but there certainly is always the place for increased technology and how that technology can sort of interconnect with the personnel and those multidisciplinary teams and how that technology, how the personnel, how the policies and procedures all connect to lead to a, a better preventative posture, have the organization in the best possible place it could mean. And that means you have your policies in place, you have your security measures in place, and most importantly, you have your awareness and education reaching as many members of the organization as you possibly can. So everyone needs to keep focused on how do we prevent and prepare to the best of our ability within our own unique environment? And of course, the caveat that we've been talking about here for a few moments now is where does the increased stress and, and dynamic of the COVID pandemic fit in all this? And I think in most cases, if you give an honest review to what's going on in your organization, you're going to see that if anything, this this is added, added to the concern and, and added to the the level of prevention we need to be positioned for. Michael D'Angelo, thanks very much for joining us today on the Prevention Podcast. Great to be with you again, man. The Prevention Podcast airs every other Tuesday at noon Eastern time. Available wherever you get your podcasts. You can sign up for our newsletter at livesafemobile.com and follow us on Twitter at livesafe.